I love the Christmas Eve service because we have lots of opportunity to hear lots of beautiful music and the worship team did just such a great job in, in leading us through a number of different songs and, and every year we don't know exactly what songs we're going to be singing or what all the music is going to be but you probably had an idea of some of the songs we wouldn't be singing when you came today. You probably had a pretty good idea that we wouldn't be singing Meli Kalikimaka right? Even though it is the thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. You probably knew we would not be singing Dominic the Donkey today when we got together. I haven't actually even heard that song this Christmas season, and I can't say that I'm very disappointed about that. You probably knew that we wouldn't be singing, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I... All right, all right. Well, well, Jim knows it anyway. That's awesome. That's awesome. We're, we're, we're so glad for that. Maybe some of you also knew that. I, there were several that uh, knew this yesterday. And I think one of the reasons that that particular song stands out to us is because it's so outrageous, right? I mean, to say that uh, it's hard to be humble because I'm perfect in, in every way. I mean, whoever would say such a thing? Well, there are people that say those, those sorts of things, all kinds of egregious statements that get made. One of the people who was sort of best known for that is Muhammad Ali, who was always calling himself the greatest. And on one occasion, he got challenged by some people who said, you are not the greatest. And he said, you're right. I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest, is what he said. And you might know some other circumstances, some examples. You probably know some people in your life who kind of live over on that side of things. They're kind of arrogant. They kind of are full of themselves. And you probably have somebody pictured in your mind. Don't nudge them next to you. I'm thinking of somebody else who isn't here today with you. Uh, somebody, though, that, and when you think of those people, when you think of the way that they act, sometimes it just sort of turns your stomach a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it's just so hard to be around them. They're just giving off this aura that we don't like. But as much as we don't like that, when we see the opposite side of the spectrum, when we see someone who acts in great humility, that draws us right in. If you see somebody who has power and position and they're interacting with somebody else and serving them, all of a sudden, it elevates them in your estimation. That's what it does for me also. And it's interesting, as we think about this very thing, just how much this idea of arrogance versus humility plays a centerpiece in the Christmas story. How important it is to what we find there. And what I want to do with you today, just for the few minutes that we have together, what I want to do is talk to you about something, a guy by the name of Paul had to say about Jesus. Sometimes we call him the Apostle Paul. He's a guy who's written much of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul originally hated Jesus. He did not like Jesus. He did not like Jesus' followers. In fact, he did everything that he could to oppose Jesus, oppose his followers. In fact, even persecuted them. But there was something that happened for Paul just in a moment that opened his eyes and all of a sudden, we see this guy who is an, an uber skeptic being turned to a follower. And when that happens, in my mind, it just sort of forces up to sit up and pay attention. What in the world is going on there? You see, I believe that we have some skeptics who are sitting here right now. Maybe you're here today because this is the only way that you get Christmas dinner later, is to come to this service. Maybe you're here to 
appease a, a spouse or maybe a, a mother to make someone happy, to fulfill a promise you made to someone. But inside your mind, inside your heart, you're going, you know all this stuff about a baby being born to a virgin and angels and shepherds and magi from the east? I mean, come on. It seems just a little bit out there. And I've got to give you that on the surface and as you look at it, the story looks pretty unbelievable. And I'd be right with you, except for the fact that we've got this Paul. And I've got to do something with Paul because he's a guy who was there. He was a guy who had access to the people who witnessed the things that we read about in the Christmas story. And if he was there, if he witnessed these things and talked to the people who did himself, and he comes to this sort of conclusion, just sort of forces me to open up my own heart and ask, what do you think? And that's what I want to do today. This moved him so much that he wrote about it in a letter that he wrote to a church. And he wrote something very interesting. Let me show it to you. He wrote, but when the set time had come, fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's not one of the Christmas verses that you're going to find Linus saying on the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but it's really, really an important Christmas verse if you stop to think about it. Here it is, Paul's talking about Jesus, and he's talking a lot in these two verses, and this is all we're going to look at, these two verses. A lot about Jesus' own humility here is what we read about. What I want to do is just point it out to you, show it to you, tell you why it matters, and we're going to be done. All right. So, what about these verses? In the way that Paul writes this, he is showing us some things that Jesus willingly came and humbled himself under. There are a few of them I'm going to show to you here. If you want, you can jot these down on that outline page in your bullets in your worship program, or you can just sit and you can just listen. That's certainly fine too. The first of those that Jesus, first of the things that Jesus humbled himself under was the will of the Father. The will of the Father. See if this sounds a little bit like the Christmas story to you. The beginning of that passage we just read, those couple of verses, says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son. Now the place that he is sending him is here into our world. Doesn't that sound like the Christmas story to you? Sounds like it to me. But when he sent it is also, when he sent his son is also very, very important. And he says he sent his son at the set time when it had fully come. When the set time had fully come. That simply means that he came at the perfect moment. He came in the right time. Have you ever experienced perfect timing? Perfect timing would be like you were at work and you're kind of goofing off, honestly, with some of the other co-workers, and you guys just finally get down to work. You just sit down at your desk and just start working, and that's the moment that the boss comes around the corner. That's perfect timing. It never happens that way, but that's what perfect timing would be. You can probably imagine it. Perfect timing would be when you hit that nine iron and you kind of hit it off to the side of the green, and a gust of wind comes up at that exact moment and blows it right up next to the pin. That would be perfect timing. Here's what perfect timing looks like in relationship to photography. This is apparently from the headless gymnast competition. 
that uh, this woman is competing here. Or this woman here apparently is marrying an owl. That's what it, what it looks like here. Or how about this next one here? I didn't even know that Jesus had a dog. And, and here he is walking on the water. Or this one. I didn't see the glass in the door when I was trying to walk on out, the poor girl. <laughs> or here's one. This is one really impressive goal. I mean, who even knew they were jet-powered? I had no idea, but, but there you have it. Or here's, a, here's another example right here. I don't know if it's legal to hunt, but it's a great 60-point dog we got right there. And maybe just one more here. Apparently, storks really do deliver babies. I didn't know it was true, but uh, I didn't think so. But now there we have visual evidence. All right. Well, Paul says that God has perfect timing also. When he says that he came in the fullness of time, that's what he means. It means that there was a plan that God has, had established. So when the time had fully come, God having existed from eternity past, but he said there's a moment when I want this to happen. And so what this is explaining to us, what Paul is saying to us, is that there's been this moment that's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and finally that moment comes. This did not happen spur of the moment. That's not what's going on here. The father did not get exasperated with the son in heaven and say, why don't you just go outside to earth and play for a while? That's not the way that it happened. In the fullness of time, when the time was perfectly right, Jesus voluntarily humbled himself to leave all of heaven, to leave all of its glory, to come into our world and for a purpose. Jesus humbled himself, we said, under the will of the Father, also under the limitations of man. Paul goes on to say this in, the, in that passage. It says, no, let's go past that. Let's go past that. One more. There we go. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Born of a woman, born under the law is what he says here. Those two little phrases just simply are there to point out to us that Jesus came to live as we live. Born of a woman simply means that he came in flesh. He came and was fully human as he came into our world, which is very important so that he could be an adequate representative to understand what our condition was. And then it also says that he was born under the law, which means that when Jesus comes into our world as a human, he didn't stay off in a corner. He didn't say, I'm above all of this. I'm God after all. No, he entered in, and all of the same sort of laws that everybody else were supposed to live by, he chose to live by himself. And not just the laws, but also the curse that came because people failed to live up to the laws. And because people failed, there were all sorts of curses and problems that had come into the world, the sorts of things that we continue to experience today. Jesus said, I'm going to be subject to all of those when he came into our world, and we can be grateful that he did. Now, he came in and he lived perfectly according to them. He made no sin. There was no error on his behalf. But nonetheless, he still had to experience the curse of it because of the fact that he was fully human. The curse of things like temptation and things like loneliness and suffering and even death. That's why Jesus came into our world. And those same problems that Jesus had to suffer are the things that we end up suffering, right? And there can be great discouragement and our heart can be greatly broken and there can be great troubles because we also experience the same sorts of things, suffering and loneliness and yes, even death which ultimately, ultimately brings us to the reason that Jesus came. 
He humbled himself under the will of the Father, under the limitations of man, and then also, one more, also humbled himself under the cost of adoption. Here's the way that our passage ends. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, here it is, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. It says that he came to redeem us. There's one of those big theological words. What in the world is that about? Well, to redeem just means to exchange one thing for another. And in this case, Jesus is coming so that he might be willing, because he was willing, to go to the cross to pay our penalty for the sins of all of mankind, exchanging his life for our life. Giving us life cost him greatly. It cost him his very life. But Jesus was willing to humble himself to pay that price. That's the point that Paul is making when he also says in another place these important words. And being found in appearance as a man, born of a woman, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there's our word, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We're talking today about the fruit of humility. The fruit of, what is the fruit of humility? What is it that comes about because Jesus was so humble to enter into our world? Well, the fruit of humility, my friends, is hope. The fruit of humility is hope. That's what it's all about. It's only because of what Jesus came to do when he entered into our world that we have hope. And we need hope, don't we? Aren't there circumstances in your life that are stealing hope away from you? Aren't there things that come up from time to time and maybe you're here today and it's like, I'm on my last leg here. I'm dying. I've lost my hope. Maybe because of something that's going on in your life or going on in your family or just simply that's going on around us in our world. I get that. I've been there. I feel that from time to time. Jesus himself was there also. In fact, he willingly entered into our sin-sick world so that he might do something about that, which is so very, very important. And understand, when we read about hope, when we read about hope in the biblical sense, it's not talking about it like we usually use the terminology hope. We might say, well, I, I know that this is something that possibly could happen, and I sure hope that it does. That's how we mean it. That's not how it's referred to when it talks about Jesus and, and the cross and what it is that he's provided for us. Hope in that regard is about confidence. It's about assurance because the work has already been done on our behalf. We're not saying, I hope God will do something for me, as in it might or might not happen. He's already done it. Our hope is assurance if we choose to enter into it. And that's the important thing because here's what we have to also point out, that Jesus isn't the only one for whom humility is essential. We also need to be willing to humble ourselves so that we might be able to receive that hope, so that we put ourselves in a place where it can be something that we can appropriate for ourselves. You see, as long as we choose to go our own way and do our own thing, we're living in pride. We're not living in humility. Essentially saying, God, yes, it's wonderful that you sent Jesus to come to humble himself so that I can continue to live in arrogance, to live all for myself. And a lot of people are doing exactly that. And that's why we find in our world today such despair and such depression and such animosity between people, between groups, 
and that hope is so very elusive. The truth is that the fruit of our humility also brings hope. The truth, truth, the truth is that Jesus' humility provides hope. Our humility receives hope. There's a powerful verse that the Apostle Peter wrote. He said, God opposes the proud. Opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. There is no favor apart from humility. You might say, well, that's, that's okay because I'm a pretty humble person. When I think about myself, you might be saying, you might be saying I'm a pretty humble person. After all, I really don't brag much. And I flash my lights and wave the other person through the four-way stop, even though it's technically my turn. I love people like you because I love to go through before it's my turn. But you might be saying, so it looks like I'm really a pretty humble person. But we need to take it one level down beyond what sometimes we're able to just display toward other people to when we're alone, when we do a self-examination of what's really going on inside. What are the priorities by which you're living? Have you humbled yourself in terms of how you're living your life to God, to what His will would be for you? That's why He came, so that He might humble Himself to enter into our world so that we could experience the glories of what it is that He desires for us. But in order to experience those, we need to humble ourselves as well. That's what this whole thing is about. Are you humbling yourself before God or are you basically just kind of going through the motions and, and on occasion and every once in a while to appease your own conscience, you go ahead and do something that is toward God or for God? Well, I can tell you this. If it's the latter, you're always going to struggle with finding true and lasting hope. That's because it's not the fruit of pride. It's the fruit of humility. And you know inside what I'm talking about. When I talk about how we don't really, you don't really have a full sense of, of security and comfort and where you stand in relationship with God because you've never really come to the place where you've been able to say, I have humbled myself before God. But you can. In fact, you can right now. Would you bow your heads with me? If you want to experience the hope that can be yours because of what it is that Jesus came. He humbled himself to enter into our world voluntarily, leaving all of what heaven was and is so that he might come and give us hope. Then we need to say, I'm not just going to accept your hope and live in my own arrogance. I'm going to humble myself also so that I might be able to experience all of what you, Jesus, came to provide. And we just do that by acknowledging that Jesus humbled himself, came into our world, went to the cross to die to take our sin out of the way. Just by praying a prayer like this, and if it's your heart, then pray it too. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his humility that came into our world, leaving all of the glories of heaven so that he might go to a cross as wicked, as awful, as painful, as vile as it was, so that he might take my wicked, painful awful, vile sin out of the way. Thank you that that hope can be mine 
And right now, I humble myself to you. I ask you to take control of my heart and of my life. And I'm choosing this moment to live forward for you. Dear God, I thank you so much for the hearts that have that desire here today, that have prayed those words. And I just pray for your blessing in each moment of those lives going forward for your sense of peace to wash over them and their demonstration of a willingness to follow completely and wholly after you. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his humility that opens the door to all of this that we might rejoice in these moments. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.